Welcome to our Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. I'm Eric Roges and I'm the executive pastor here at Rolling Hills. We all have stories of thanksgiving in our lives. We have stories of God being faithful to our desires, answering our long-awaited prayers, or bringing hope when we had lost all hope. When we retell these stories of God's goodness in our lives, we cultivate a deeper sense of gratitude towards our Father for His continued faithfulness in fulfilling His promises to us. And that's what we're doing today. Today's message is all about God's goodness, kindness, and patience with us. Today is all about telling stories of thanksgiving. We're so glad you're listening. Good morning. Okay, super special welcome to our elementary school kids who are in the room because you guys get to join us for big church today. You caught me waving to my third grader who gets to sit in the balcony this morning. That's kind of fun, right? Glad that you guys are here. Happy Thanksgiving. I hope that you've been prepping for this week and wearing like elastic waistbands and like increasing your calorie intake over the past couple of days to prepare for everything that you're going to do on Thursday. I I think that Thanksgiving is a little bit like running a half marathon. You don't do it without some prep work, right? So you've got to be getting ready for everything that's going to happen later this week and all the things that you're hopefully going to enjoy. And not just the things that you're going to enjoy, but hopefully the people that you're going to enjoy them with. What are you thankful for? Uh, You knew that was coming. It's a big, huge section on your worship guide. It's an opportunity to say, hey, this is the the stuff that I'm thankful for, but this is the the people that I'm thankful for, and, and this is what makes it to my list this year. And for some of you, it's going to be the big monumental moments that you never forget. Those moments that 10, 15, 20 years later, you're still eternally so grateful for because something could have gone very differently or very wrong, uh, uh, just totally a different story could have been written had you not had that one experience or that one person in your life. And some of it is just going to be the little mundane things, the things that you're just, hey, yesterday, this was a blessing and I'm so thankful for it. I, I have both. You have both of those in your life. In 2008, it was March. Um, Our our second child was a month old, and I was literally on my way to work, just like I had done a hundred other times since we had moved to Tennessee in 2007, on a stretch of road in Brentwood called Wilson Pike. I got off the interstate a little early and headed up that way because interstate traffic, as you know, is interstate traffic. And I'm driving up Wilson Pike, and a, a tire blew, the front passenger tire on my car. There's very little shoulder on the road and ditches on both sides. And when that tire blew, it propelled me into the ditch, which was not huge, but big enough to make my tiny little Saturn car flip over upside down. And, and so there I am, seat belted in, upside down in the car, can't find my phone. The windshield is shattered, glasses, lots of places. I see a tiny little trickle of blood coming down my nose, and I don't know where it's coming from. And I'm thinking, oh, this is bad. So I undo the seatbelt. I crawl out the side window and watch no fewer than 30 cars pass me by before one fellow stopped. Gave me his phone, checked me out, waited for the ambulance to arrive. I took a very unnecessary ambulance ride to the Williamson County Medical Center. They checked me out to find out that it was basically just the glasses that crushed on my face that made a tiny little trickle of blood. I didn't even have to have stitches. I was completely fine. I'm eternally grateful for God's sovereignty that day and his protection and his provision. But I'm also thankful for that guy that I don't know his name. And I never got to tell him thank you. And I never got to acknowledge what he did for me during his morning commute that day to provide a blessing for me in a moment when I needed it. But I never forgot it. Maybe he's here. Like, I don't know. Wouldn't that be like the strangest Hallmark movie of all time? If one of you stood up and you're like, son, I recognize you. I was that man. I would be blown away and I would have to shake your hand, pause the whole message and tell you 
how thankful I was. And, and my wife would do the same. She's thankful that you stopped, thankful that you allowed me to call, thankful that you told her I was okay, right? You have those moments. You never forget them. But then you also have some that, like, if this wasn't only 24 hours old, I'll forget this three weeks from now. I'll forget this next year. This will happen in 12 months, and I'll be so blown about, away by it as if it's never happened before, and I'll go thank the guy for doing it, and he'll be like, this is what I always do because my son is playing rec league basketball with West Nashville Sports, and I'm really thankful for the refs. I'm thankful every time they blow a whistle to make a call, even it's to call out my son because they pause and they tell him what he did wrong and what he can do right. They don't just make the call, blow the whistle, change the ball, but they pause and teach the kids. So after the doubleheader yesterday, is it called a doubleheader in basketball? I don't know. After the doubleheader yesterday, I was able to go and have him do the same thing to thank the refs for being there, for making the calls, but also pausing to teach them how to do right. As you make your list of thanksgivings, as you make your list of God's sovereign moments, do the big grand ones. Do the big grand ones that you are just so blown away by, but also do the little ones that you may not remember three weeks from now, but just those little moments where you catch a glimpse of God's goodness. This whole series, we've been in 1 Thessalonians, and today we're going to finish that out with a message on 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And so if you have your Bibles with you today, I hope you'll turn there. And as you do, I'll tell you a little story from Luke chapter 17. Makes no sense, but this week I got to spend some time with the middle school and high school kids at Rolling Hills, and I told them this story from Luke 17 in a manner of thanksgiving. It finds its way into all the kids' ministry curriculum. So if you grew up in the life of the church, you have heard this story before, but probably not from this perspective, because the reason we tell this story to kids is because we want to make sure that they mind their manners and that they always say thank you. It's the story of 10 lepers. You see, Jesus was walking along the border between Galilee and Samaria. And if you know anything about biblical geography, what you know about this area is that these people hated one another. Galilee was the safe zone for the Jews, and Samaria is where the Samaritans live. And those two people did not intermingle, and they were not happy with one another. And so it was a strategic move for Jesus to go near that border. Outside the cities, along the border's edge, there were always camps of lepers who were sent out of the city. It was, one, an instruction from the Old Testament that if you are leprous, you're considered unclean and you have to go outside of the community and you really end up isolated and alone. It was also disease prevention because it was highly communicable and you don't want the whole city to catch it if you did, so you were sent out. Remember COVID-19? The way that people felt isolated, the way that people felt lonely, the way that we had to distance ourselves from one another in so many circumstances. Imagine that thousands of years ago with no Twitter and what people had to experience in those moments. And Jesus and his disciples are walking along the border of Galilee and Samaria, and they find 10 lepers, and they're begging to be healed. Jesus looks at them and says, hey, go present yourselves to the priests, because what you had to do in those days was, if you were found to be leprous, you were excommunicated from your community, and you were sent out to live alone, and if you were, in fact, clean or healed or better, you had to go and present yourself to the priest, because they could give you the negative leprosy test, and if you got the negative leprosy test, or you were 48 hours from it, you could go back into your community, and you could go back to school and you could go back to work, right? We know this. So he sends them off to the priest, and as they were going, Luke 17 says, as they were going, they were healed. And one out of the ten paused in his healing, 
on his journey to go see the priest, which he still had to do, paused and returned to tell Jesus. Thank you. And we tell this story to kids as a reminder. Be courteous. Say yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. Yes, sir. No, sir. Please and thank you. We tell this story to them as a manner of courtesy, but what we forget is the last detail that Jesus gave. And that man, the one that came back to say thank you, he was a Samaritan. The one that returned to give praise to God was somebody that Jesus' audience would not have included in their right to know God. It's a story not just about courtesy. It's a story about how big the gospel is and how great God's love is to include people that you don't think are included and to welcome everybody to the table. It's not an accident the way that the Bible's organized that that story of 10 lepers finds itself in Luke 17 in the same chapter as words about, hey, if you're a stumbling block to somebody weaker in faith, it's better for you to have a large millstone tied around your neck and thrown into the sea. The, the passage about 10 lepers, where one comes back and says thank you, finds itself in the same chapter of the same book of the same gospel where we're told, hey, don't build high fences, but break down the walls. So enter 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 for all of us today, where starting with verse 11, this whole chapter finds itself about the day of the Lord, the return of Jesus, when it's all going to shake down. And the Apostle Paul writes in verse 11, Therefore, encourage one another and build up each other, as in fact you are already doing and then it says it in verse 12, now we ask you, brothers and sisters, believers in Jesus, people who've committed yourselves to Christ, to acknowledge those who work hard among you and to, who care for you in the Lord and who admonish you, hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work, live in peace with each other, and we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive, encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Rejoice always. Maybe you've memorized this before. Verse 16. Pray continually. You've definitely leaned on that before. Verse 17. Give thanks. Happy Thanksgiving. In all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Father, we thank you for this day, and we thank you for these words. And we pray that in the power of your spirit, you will help us to apply them to our lives and understand fully what they mean and why they are intended. Would you please forgive us, God, when we underestimate the power of the gospel to truly change someone's life? Would you forgive us, God, when we underestimate the extent of the gospel to reach those that we previously thought had to be on the outside? And would you help us, God, not to take for granted our role in breaking down barriers instead of building higher fences. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray today. Amen. When I was little, I grew up in the South. You're thinking, but Nick, you sound so British. No, I literally, I grew up in the South. And your mom always repeated this sentence to you, and you can fill in the blank. If you don't have anything nice to say, some of y'all said that with a little bit of attitude. Like you rolled your eyes because you're so sick of hearing it. Don't say anything at all. And I heard that growing up. If you don't have something nice to say, don't say anything at all. If you don't have something kind to say, the best thing that you can do is just to keep your mouth shut. That's ridiculous because if you don't have something nice to say, the easiest thing to do is to sit back and say nothing at all. It's missing something really important. 
Because if you as a believer in Jesus Christ, if you have committed yourself to this gospel story, if you truly believe that someone else hung in your place and died a cruel criminal's death on a cross, suffering in every way so that you might have eternity with God and favor from God and walk a life that you don't deserve, if you truly ascribe to the words in this book and believe what they say about the way that we are called and set apart and supposed to live our lives as believers in Jesus Christ, if you believe the words of this book and you don't have anything nice to say, something's wrong. That's how that sentence should go. If you don't have something nice to say, something is wrong, that's okay, it can be fixed. Go to the Word and go to the source and go to Christ who transforms every single part of our lives and reminds us that our call as believers in Jesus Christ is not just to sit back and keep our mouths quiet when the world is falling apart, but to somehow find a way to speak words of hope and words of life and words of love and words of encouragement in it. The world desperately needs a source of joy, and we know where it's from. So if we don't have something good to say, something's wrong. We have plenty of good to say, and so we do that. There's a band, it's called Building 429. I don't know if they're still making music, but they did back in the 90s when I was in college, and we enjoyed it. And people always thought, Building 429, what is that? One of the dude's addresses, like he lived in that building, unit number 429. No, it was from Ephesians chapter 429. It says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, not your own, according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. We're supposed to build each other up. We're supposed to take down walls and barriers, but build one another up with the good news of Jesus Christ. If we don't have something good, something encouraging, something kind to say, something wrong, that's okay. It can be fixed. We go to the source of our joy, and then we communicate that joy to other people. And then in verse 12 and 13, he's literally talking about the people in your life that you're grateful for. Maybe jot down in the margins somebody who has been First uh, uh, Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12 and 13 for you, somebody who has pointed you in the right direction, someone who has loved you well, someone who has literally been there and, and worked hard to see you know Jesus in your life. Write down that name so that you can remember to give them a bit of thanks this week. And then it says in, in verse 14 that we're going to urge one another to warn other people who are idle and disruptive. True accountability, it's in your notes this morning. True accountability is a recipe of bold faith. I'm going to say something boldly, but I'm going to do it with deep love. Paul, the same writer who penned 1 Thessalonians, wrote Galatians. And to that church, he wrote these words in chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Brothers and sisters, people who are believers, you subscribe to this work. Let me tell you, if someone is caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should keep your mouth shut. No, no should literally go to that person and restore them gently. But watch yourselves or that you may also be tempted. And then it says, carry, carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Brothers and sisters, we're to be an encouragement to one another, and we're also to be a source of gentle, kind accountability to one another. And the reason is, we have really important work to do inside, inside this church and inside our hearts that we can also be productive on the outside. First Peter writes in 2.12, live such good lives 
among the pagans, among the people that are on the outside, among the people that have not been included, live such good lives that though they accuse you of doing wrong, the world has plenty of insults to throw to us as the church, and tend, we tend to buck up and get real mad and want to fight back in that moment. The world has plenty of insults that they want to throw to us as the church, so that though the outside world may hate you and abuse you and curse you and, and, and insult you in whatever way they accuse you of doing wrong, they may somehow, First Peter, see your good deeds glorify God on the day that he visits us. Paul gives us that recipe. He, he literally tells us that we are supposed to, verse 13, live in peace with one another. Maybe this week is an opportunity to go to someone that you're not really living at peace with and make amends, to live at peace with one another, to warn when needed says, we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. If you find somebody in your life that's literally heading for a cliff whose behavior is leading to the danger zone and you know it, then my goodness, why wouldn't you raise the flag and stop them or intervene in some kind of way and not in a way that makes you feel all higher than, not in a way that makes you aggressive towards them, not in a way that pushes them further away, but out of your love for them, could you say, hey, I see you headed for danger. I see you towing the line of destruction. I see you wasting this portion of your life. And I just want to tell you, as somebody who, who loves you, I want to warn you that according to Scripture and according to what I see in the world at work, this is not going to go well for you, and I love you too much to not speak up. Warn people when needed. Maybe there's somebody in your life this week that you've got to pray for some boldness to warn. And then pay close attention. I read these words from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and it literally says in, in verse 14, encourage the disheartened. Who around you is really disappointed and really grieved and really disheartened right now? Help the weak. Who around you is just feeling weak and struggling and, and not knowing what's next? Pay attention to other people around you. It's so easy to just get in the zone where all we do is focus on ourselves, but open your eyes and pay close attention to people around you. Ask the hard questions, say the hard words, express love in kind ways so that people can know that your heart is that they would see and notice and understand what it means to follow Jesus. And then you got to check your pride. I told my teenagers in the first service that this part at the end of verse 14 that says, be patient with everyone. Y'all, I really wish it said be patient with most people. <laughs> and at the end of the day, what they know about me, I literally told them in the first service, hey, y'all just check your phones right now. I would never say that in, that, that in the middle of a church service. Hey, y'all just tune out for a minute, write something on your paper, think about something else, because your dad's about to say, my greatest struggle in life is to check my pride. Because the Bible doesn't say be patient with some people or most people. It says be patient with everyone. And the truth of the matter is the reason I'm not patient with everyone is because I think I'm better than. And because I think how dare they. And I think I shouldn't be inconvenienced today. Or, or I shouldn't have to wait today. Or this would be so much better if people organized the world a little differently to accommodate my needs in a better... Be patient with everyone could be easily translated as check your pride because you're not the one. And so I'm reminded in these moments that I need Jesus every day. 
we have an opportunity this year. This is called our Stories of Thanksgiving service, and it's always a good chance. You heard the testimony from the couple in our Franklin campus earlier, and we get an opportunity to invite and hear stories today from a couple of people, and so I'm excited to invite Rachel Holloway and Brian Kurtoska to come up and join me for a time where we get to talk about God's favor in their lives. And what you're going to hear is not the moment where the car flipped on the side of the interstate and you didn't know what was going to happen next. It wasn't the moment caught in traction. It wasn't the surgery. It wasn't the diagnosis. It wasn't the big grand moments that we all have to sit and pause and be thankful for. You guys have a seat. It's literally the the simple moments where we get to see God's faithfulness every single day. So thank you guys for doing this. And this is your second time because you did it in the first service this morning, so you should be awesome right now. Hopefully. Um, And so I'll tell you a little bit of part of the story. So Rachel was a part of the Park Avenue Baptist Church that's been here for years and years and years. Now, she's not been here for years and years and years because she's young, but she's been here for a lot of years. And so what we're celebrating today is the fact that God brought a couple of churches together and we formed the Nashville campus and that she is one of our young adults and still a part of the ministry life here. And then Brian Kratoska, still a student at Belmont for how many more semesters? One. One, congratulations. Thank you. And we'll pray for you. Um, And so we encountered Brian when we were back meeting at Belmont, and we didn't know where our permanent location would be going forward for the Nashville campus. And one of our goals and our objectives for putting this campus in this city, this close to the universities, is that we would still have a connection to college students and young adults. So I'm thankful that you guys are here today. We have gone through a global pandemic, and so you were finishing up grad school, Rachel, during all of that, and that put a big hindrance along the path. And so I would love for you just to talk a minute about the challenges that you faced finishing up your grad grad school degree, and then also the challenges that you faced finding a job on top of everything that's going on in the world. Yeah. Um, So... One, during COVID, as we were all taken by surprise, I had just started seeing clients. My uh, master's degree is in clinical mental health counseling, and I'm working as a mental health therapist now. Um, But at the time, I had just recently started seeing clients. And when we originally had talked about telehealth, it was like, that's not something you'll really ever do. If you do, you have to be licensed for a long time to do that. So don't even worry about it. We won't even talk about the logistics. And then a couple months later, we got an email that says, hey, do this eight-hour online training, and you start telehealth next week. Wow. Um, and so then just, just that switch and going from seeing people in person to all of a sudden seeing people on a screen, um, and then all of my classes being online, not seeing my friends, um, having to lengthen out my degree because of COVID, um, because a lot of clients weren't coming to therapy during that time, and then graduation being canceled, and just all the things. And then suddenly I got done, I was like, oh my gosh, I need a job, and no one is hiring a therapist in the middle of a pandemic. And um, so I did the Indeed search, and all kinds of job searches you can think of, and looked over the same listings over and over, and I really wanted a full-time position because I was aging out of my insurance and I wanted some benefits. (laughs) And um, so I passed over a part-time job at the next door multiple times and thought, you know, this part-time is not what I'm I'm looking for. And then um, I'd sent out applications to a bunch of places. Nothing was really panning out. And I had this day of prayer was like, no job searching today. 
I'm just sitting and I'm trusting and I'm listening to God. And then the next day I got online and I saw the exact same listening I'd passed over so many times and thought, oh my gosh, this looks great. This looks fantastic. I'm going to apply for this job. Um, and then went through the interview process, felt some peace about it, um, even though I didn't feel like that was what I was wanting and um, was offered the job. And then within three months of working part-time, I was promoted to full-time uh, with benefits. So, congratulations. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yes, That's thank good. you. Thank yeah. you. Um, yeah. And so COVID was crazy. And also trusting God to say like, okay, I don't know like what I'm doing right now. Cause everything is out of my control. I've controlled what I can and I have to give up what I can't control and the things I can't control. I'm going to give to you. That's awesome. I love the idea of this, the listening and the waiting um, because we have to wait sometimes uh, and God to provide and he's writing a better story along the way. Um, Brian, just for a second, I remember when you came um, to Rolling Hills and, and you were already a student at Belmont. Back up and tell us like how God directed you to Belmont in the first place and how you came to Nashville. Yeah, yeah. So um, like everyone else at Belmont, I was looking for music business originally. Um, yeah. Uh, so my uncle had lived here for about 15 years before I was in sixth grade or so. Um, and when he came back, he had talked to me a lot about music and, hey, if you want to find a place, look in Nashville. Um, that's where you can go play music and kind of, you know, do that, live that sort of life, work in the music industry. Um, and so he pointed me down here to Nashville. Um, and my high school has you start looking at colleges your freshman year. And I stumbled across Belmont pretty quickly because when you search Nashville colleges, while there are many, Belmont is the only one that really emphasizes music. So um, that's, I, I then worked to just get into Belmont and that's how I wound up here. I remember other students who had invited you to come to college Bible study yes. back on campus at Belmont. Yes. Um, and we were so thankful to meet you and then we hung out. We were glad that you were attending church. But it's when we moved here that you got super involved and started serving on a ministry team and then really connected to college ministry and leadership. What's that been like? Like, how has God blessed you and taught you and used you and really grown your faith as a part of ministry here? You know, I think the, uh, the main way he's really grown my faith through all that is that the sense of community. And it's something we talk a lot about in um, our young adults ministry, Thrive. Mm -hmm. um, that was kind of the main goal was to create this sense of community um, and give everybody that kind of support system. And during COVID in the past couple years, um, moving halfway across the country, I felt that was something I kind of lacked. And, um, you know, not having belonged to a church before that, you know, you combine belonging to Rolling Hills and then having that sense of community here, um, you know, it, it does wonders to, you know, grow your faith. Yeah, I think we talk a lot about next steps and seeing Brian come and get involved and be baptized and now serving and leading. That's, that's what we desire for all college, you know, that's what we desire for all of us. And so I'm really thankful for that. Rachel, talk about just dependence and how God has grown your ability to trust him through a season of waiting, yeah. what that looks like. Um, this was a season of waiting, mm -hmm. I think, for all of us. Um, and in that, there's so many things that are uncontrollable in the waiting. Mm -hmm. So it's like, okay, I just have to give this up. And um, realizing that God is not just there for me in the product, Yes. In the accomplishment, in the healing, um, but God's also with me in the anxiety and the fear and, um, and in the waiting and being uncomfortable and being able to lean into that and say like, okay, God, 
you have a big plan for my life and I can do as much as I can control or, or work towards as much as I can. And then there's some that I can't do and that is you. Um, and so getting to a place where, um, where I was able to rely on God um, and say, okay, yeah, I can't just go out and knock on doors and say, hire me. Like I, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but just trusting in God that, that he does have a plan for my life. Um, and sometimes, well, all the time, he knows much better than I do. Absolutely. There's these moments I say to people all the time, it's easy to feel forgotten mm. and like God just forgot or he got busy or occupied doing other things. Mm -hmm. He's still connected and doing things. All right, both you guys, real quick, last thing. What's one thing that you're just really, really grateful for right now? Um, God's faithfulness overall in my life over the past year in so many circumstances, whether that was the job or a sick family member mm -hmm. who I wasn't sure was going to survive having COVID, um, mm -hmm. with finding a job, with, with being with people I love, being able to not just have a job, but have a job that I get to use my degree and that I get to be a therapist and I get to feel fulfilled in my job. And so God's faithfulness in working out things, even when I didn't see that there was a way and didn't look, know what the way would look like, but God being there every step of the way through all of the uncertainty. I love it. Uh, for me, uh, I've, as you know, I've been through some struggles um, mm -hmm. throughout college. And uh, for me, it's the ability to use those experiences to help others that are going through something um, very similar during this time. And I think because of COVID, they feel a little extra alone. And so to be able to provide them that company and to be able to point them to all the good things that are happening that in their life, kind of like you did for me, yeah. um, it, it's, it's wonderful to be able to point out what God's doing in their life. And We say uh, God never wastes a hurt. Exactly. And he would never waste a season of our lives because somehow or another it's going to come back and he's going to use it to point somebody else back to him and to get even more glory than we thought possible. One of the things I'm thankful for, and it's what we prayed for as a church, is what we longed for at the Franklin campus moving into the heart of Nashville was ultimately that God would provide an avenue for us to see college and young adults grow in their faith and lead in different capacities. And so it's not, it was kind of strategic that we ask you guys to be a part of the testimony today because for you and for so many other college and students and young adults, we see God moving, um, and I'm really thankful for that. So thank you guys for being here today. Thank you. Thank you. As a part of the last three years in the life of our church, we've been praying with expectation, but then also giving sacrificially and generously to this idea for the kingdom. And we've talked about the way that God has met and exceeded those goals as we prayed for five really specific things in the life of our church. First, that God would literally help us to invest in the next generation. And that's college students, that's young adults, that's middle school and high school students, elementary school students who are in here with us this morning, and preschool students that God continues to bring, and families that we want to nurture and see grow in faith and take their next step of obedience and trusting Jesus. We've prayed really boldly that God would provide a home for our Nolansville campus and ultimately a home for our Nashville campus. And in both situations, God has provided exceedingly and abundantly more than anything that we could have thought was possible in this journey. The fourth thing that we prayed for was that God would expand our ministry and provide multi-purpose education space in Franklin. As those ministries were growing, their space needs grew and God continued to allow us to expand that property and grow to where we can reach and nurture and disciple in faith more students and more of the next generation. And finally, we've asked God over and over again to help us 
Help us to do whatever we have to do to sacrifice to provide transitional living homes in Moldova so that that next generation can grow up and become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ and have their needs and their educational resources met so that they can grow and lead well in their community. And God continues to provide that. We set a lower goal, but God exceeded it. And the sacrificial giving of so many generous people provided, I want to give you a number, six million one hundred and sixteen thousand. This is more money than I've ever talked about, so I may say it wrong. Six million one hundred and sixteen thousand four hundred fifteen dollars and forty-one cents for His kingdom and for His glory, and, and that's more than we ever thought possible. Yeah, you can clap for that. But what we're really most excited about is while that was the the God-given generosity of His people. He provided exceedingly more than anything that we can even put a monetary value on as he sent stories, as he sent people, as he provided buildings and resources that we could have never have afforded along the way. This past summer, I read a book with a bunch of people. It's called Uncommon Ground, and one of the authors of one specific chapter, her, she's a minister named Kristen Deed Johnson, and she says this, among many other things, trees trees, you know, outside big green leaves. Trees are known for their capacity to take in potentially harmful gases surrounding them and offer life-giving oxygen to the world. And trees do not offer this oxygen only to their own kind. They improve air quality for everyone. Of course, trees, she writes, offer many other benefits to the world, beauty, shade, fruit, and a habitat for wildlife. The world, she writes, would be greatly diminished in significant ways without the contribution of trees. Would it not be so amazing if that was our reputation as Christians today? What if people in this neighborhood said, we, we don't know where Sylvan Park and the nations would be if it weren't for Rolling Hills? We have no idea what would be happening in our community, with our ministry, with our family, if it weren't for those believers in Jesus Christ. And it's not just for our kind. It's for all kinds. That gospel can go further than we think it can. And rather than be a barrier to it, we want to be a conduit of it so that people can see and experience Jesus. I love what Rachel said about being out of control. My friend Molly Westmoreland, she goes to the Franklin campus and leads a ministry there. She says this, there's really only two things you can control in life. This is probably a quote from somebody else really famous, and she just keeps saying it over and over again to her kids and to others, and it does make sense. There are only two things you can control, your attitude and your effort. And if attitude and effort get together, what they really accomplish is faith. Faith. The recurring theme of God in our life is faithfulness. Rachel said that. The recurring theme of his great will for us is consistency. That's what it says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Rejoice always, not just some of the time, all of the time. Pray continually, not just some of the time, but all of the time. Give thanks in all circumstances, not just easy circumstances, but all circumstances, always, continually, in all things. That is a recipe for consistency in our lives. You know, just because someone is grateful doesn't mean they will be intentional. I'm sure the other nine lepers were full of gratitude that day, but only one took the intentional step to go back and say, 
thankful. Thank you. Just because someone is cured doesn't mean they're going to be courteous, right? And we want to be the people who acknowledge God's goodness in our lives with consistent worship, consistent trust, and consistent gratitude. Keep that list. What is it that you're thankful for? There's reflection space in your notes to say, this is what I'm thankful for. This is who I'm thankful for. This is the way I see God working. We're going to transition our time of worship now to Holy Communion, to an opportunity to gather around the table I grew up in a tradition where we called this the Lord's Supper or the Last Supper and acknowledged the fact that Jesus gathered together with his disciples literally year after year after year with family and friends to celebrate the Jewish holiday of Passover where they recognized God's goodness in Exodus to bring them out of Egypt. It was a holiday that they celebrated year after year after year, but on this particular moment in the Gospels, the last one before he was arrested and tried and convicted and crucified, Jesus said, this is a new covenant. This is my body that's broken for you, and this is my blood that will be shed for you. And the word that he used when he broke the bread and he gave thanks was the Greek word eucharizo, and it literally means to give thanks. That Greek word eucharist is is still to this day what some traditions call this holy communion experience where they tell God, We are so thankful that you sent your son, so thankful that you died in our place, so thankful that you've offered us salvation and sustaining hope in life so that we can be conduits of hope to that world. When the one leper turned around, recognizing that he was clean and came back to Jesus, the Bible says the word eucharizo, he gave thanks for the healing. What is it that you're thankful for today? Is it the healing that God gave or is it the waiting that you're still in? Is it the blessing that you received, or is it the challenge and the trial that you went through? We can be thankful for both, because the Bible says to rejoice always, pray continually, and to give thanks in all, even the hard ones, circumstances. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this day um, and the chance to be in this place and to celebrate the work that you're doing in our lives. God, we ask today that you would take these moments and remind us of all the things that we have to be grateful for, the big monumental things in life, but also the everyday moments where we just see your hand working, correcting, training, steering our lives. We tell you today most of all that we're thankful for Jesus and the sacrifice that he made so that we might know and follow you. It's in your holy and precious name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to our Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast, part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network, where you can find great podcasts like Making History Parenting Podcast, Men's Leadership Network, RH Women's As You Go Podcast, and more. If you want to learn more about what's going on in the life of Rolling Hills, download our Rolling Hills app or visit our website at rollinghills.church. From there, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook to stay up to date on what's happening and ways you can connect. We're thankful for you.